This is the future. Hello and welcome to the Alternate Futures Podcast, where we chat with indie sci-fi creators about their work, the world, and anything in between, or beyond. Today I'm here with Roy Huff. Roy is a Hawaii-based best-selling author, peer-review research scientist, and teacher. After overcoming significant childhood poverty in the U.S. mainland, he moved to the islands and hasn't looked back. Despite his challenges, which include a family stricken by mental illness and the loss of a father to HIV, he's earned five degrees, trained on geostationary satellites for NASA's Gozar Proving Ground, and has written numerous bestsellers. His most recent series is Seven Rules of Time Travel, which is available in paperback, audio, and Kindle ebook. Uh, Roy, thanks for joining me today from halfway around the world. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So the first thing that stands out in your bio to me is uh, five degrees. That, that that must have taken a little while to get. Um, I wonder if you'd just like share what they are and, and what your process and sort of thought process was for that. Sure. So I have two of my degrees are in uh, geoscience with a concentration in um, um, meteorology. And then I have uh, one in education, one in humanities with a concentration in history. And then I have one in liberal arts. Um yeah, uh, it it actually I took them. I started. I kind of took some time off. So like I started a year early when I was seventeen at University of Hawaii, and then um, I had some financial issues. I was trying to get like um, residency so I can pay for like in-state tuition because I was from the East Coast and I moved to Hawaii. Um, and then I took like ten years off. And then when I went back to school, I was thirty, married with two kids, working two full-time jobs, and over the course of Six years, I earned the five degree. So I was working like the first three, like I was just working really hard. Um, and then I started working on two degrees at the same time. And that came about because um, when I went back to school, I was planning on teaching uh, just because the coursework for meteorology was um, it interfered with when I could work. And I already had a was going to need to scale back some of my work. And then um, the opportunity came for a couple of hybrid uh, programs. Uh, first was a certificate and then I started the certificate and then I realized I could I could do the degree with the uh, other courses I already had so I did that and then as soon as I got that one then they offered up um, a graduate program for that so um, that's eventually how it came about like you know just a, a second life kind of going back to school thing and then the opportunity opened up and then I was actually able to fulfill my um, childhood dream as working as a meteorologist so like when I finished my first master's degree um, actually the day after um, the person I was uh, volunteering for at the university offered me a research position there. And so that that started off my research. So it's kind of a, a roundabout way to get there, but uh, I got there and I'm I'm pretty happy. And yeah. So in your 20s then, um, were you just kind of having fun or <laughs> maybe not considering what we might get into briefly, but um, uh, how did that no, I mean, I, I was working and then I also um, at that time, like I was, you know, I was an entrepreneur, so I was um, running a business and then I got a real estate license um, when I was like 26 or 27. And actually, I um, bought my first condo like right before the real estate crash, got my real estate license right before. And then I was going to get get into real estate and then <laughs> the real estate market crashed. Well, yeah, around there. And then so then I decided to um, go back to school. And so. I, um, yeah, that's, that's when I went back. So I, you know, for me, like the, the business that I was working on just didn't seem like it was viable anymore. Um, and so it, it, it made the right choice at that time I had residency and, you know, it would have been, it's a lot easier to, to go back to school. So that's what I did. 
Right. So are you in meteorology now or are you a, a teacher? Because you had a, a I'm a teacher. Yeah, I teach chemistry and biology. Um, I have worked as a meteorologist. So I was working at um, I developed the uh, VOG model for Hawaii. So our first VOG model here. So it predicts uh, volcanic smog from the Kilauea volcano. So I worked on that. And then I worked on a grant for NASA for Gozar. Um, we were out in Cape Canaveral a few years back and, and we launched that. But I was working on the um, data analytics and processing side um, on the back end with uh, the National Weather Service here at Hawaii. So I did that for um, about a year and a half, and then my contract um, finished, and then I started uh, teaching full-time. So I've been teaching now. It's about 10 years I've been teaching full-time. Um, and then writing. So actually, I you know the when I started teaching was about the same time that I published my first book, which was in uh, 2013. So almost around the same time that I've been teaching, I've been um, writing. So it's kind of like a, you know, a dual career for me. Yeah. It sounds like you have a pretty busy life. What was it like in, uh, in Cape Canaveral then? It, it was, it was, <laughs> it was short, but it was fun. I mean, um, uh, I think by that time they had the SpaceX, um, um, sections up there. So it was kind of interesting. Um, yeah, it was, it was nice to see the satellite get launched after I had worked, you know, we had worked on the project for a while. So that was kind of like, a you know, a baby being born. So that's really nice. Uh, and there were some technical issues with the satellite. And then we launched, launched a, a, another one in the, in the series. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the, it's the main satellite series that we're using now for all of the, the data analytics and, and, you know, the environmental stuff. So uh, it feels good. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to ask if that's kind of like sending your baby into the world. It is. <laughs> like Whenever you work on a big project like that, and it's kind of like an author, you know, you write a book and then you, you send it out and like you have no control over how things go like <laughs> yeah, once it's done and you release it it's yeah. just sort of praying <laughs> hoping yeah, a prayer yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome uh I just just one more question on this i was curious um so do you have to often correct people on uh when you present yourself with a meteorology degree to the average person do, do they think you're like on television somewhere when you out stuff or, or is it is it fine <laughs> No, you know, sometimes though they think I work on, um, you know, asteroids because they confuse meteors. All oh, right, with, okay, right with weather, but uh, yeah, that's one I wouldn't no. have guessed. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, so something else you you mentioned in another bio, um, is that you you joined the Alcor Life Extension Foundation. This is a cryopreservation, um, uh, and it, you're the first person I think I've interviewed that's done such a thing. So. I'm just curious if you could sort of uh, walk through that um, sort of what kind of um, maybe things inspired you to to do this and, and sort of what you hope to maybe will happen. Best case scenario, yeah, well, let's I say in the future. You're on. What are you on right now? You're on the mess hall of, of the enterprise. Is that where you're at? More or less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, like I remember when I, I think it was like, what, 1987 and, um, you know, the first episode of um, Star Trek, The Next Generation came out. I mean, I, I was just enthralled by that show. I mean, I lived for every new episode of Star Trek um, and and every every series up until um, I'd probably say even Enterprise. I've seen every single episode multiple times. Um, I've seen some of Voyager and um, I haven't seen the cartoon ones, though. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I love, you know, Roddenberry and I love Star Trek and I love a, a hopeful vision of the future. And that's what I am. You know, I'm a futurist. I'm an optimist. Um, and I think that the world is moving. In, <laughs> I know it doesn't seem like in the last few years, but I think we're moving 
um, in a better direction, right? I mean, I think politics is going to be politics, but um, I think you look at things in general and things are improving. I think we're more tolerant of people. I think um, crime is less in general. If you look at the long-term trends, I mean, you're always going to have short-term blips here and there and, and regional conflicts and things like that. Uh, but I think in general, people are more tolerant towards each other. Um, I think uh, things are moving in a direction that I like. And I think if you turn off the news, I, I think you, know, you might feel it a little bit more. <laughs> and it's actually, always a trick, like, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I, um, you know, as a writer, I'm very much in tune with, you know, the philosophy of, you know, uh, if it bleeds, it leads. Right. And that can, that can kind of make you get a, um, uh, I guess a false sense of how, you know, how things are, are, are right now. But I think most people are, are pretty kind. Um, and I think, um, Things are getting better in a lot of different ways. Now, I just got back from Bali and I got to say, looking at the trash on the beach, I was pretty disappointed. Um, I, I honestly, I really was. But um, I think in general, I mean, I, I think we're, you know, we're getting really good at, at terms of, you know, cleaning things up and things like that. So um, I, you know, I honestly believe that in the future, um, things will be going well. And I'm sure there'll still be problems. There'll still be poverty. There'll still be conflicts. I mean, that's just the human condition. Um, but I think society as a whole will continue to move forward. I mean, unless, you know, we get wiped out by like, a, you know, a supernova or something. I mean, I, I honestly think we're still going to be here. Um, and so, I, you know, I just kind of want to see how things turn out. <laughs> I want to see how things turn out. And like, you know, this has been um, you know, like kind of on my mind and on my heart for quite a while. And actually I had what I had was some financial goals that I wanted to hit before I joined. Um, and I actually hit those goals and they just happened to come around the same time though, that my mother passed. So she died on my birthday. She passed away from COVID pneumonia. Um, and so it was kind of, it was really sad for everybody. And, um, yeah, after, right after that, I just, I got like, I bought three life insurance. I already had one life insurance policy, but I, I picked up a couple of more, uh, one for my family. Cause I want to set up, um, a trust for my family. So I have the policy in place. I'm still working on setting up the trust. Uh, and then I got one for the Alcor. So like, that's the option. Like I don't have to pay the full, you know, 200 plus thousand. And I pay like an extra option because I'm in Hawaii because I have to fly out here for health stuff. So I think I forget exactly the amount, like 220,000 or something, but it's an insurance. So like I'm in actuality, I'm only paying like whatever it is, um, 50 bucks a month or something. Plus the, the membership fee, um, which is like 550 or 600 a year. So I think it comes down to like about 80, hundred bucks a month. Uh, and so for me, it's, it's kind of like insurance on my life. And like, I, I'm not stupid. I'm not deluded. I know that the chances of, um, a successful, um, re, you know, revival are low, but I mean, I'm like, well, you know, I mean, I'll take it. You know, I, I know that, um, I think the big criticism with cryo is, preservation of state, you know, of the mind. So it depends on like, um, at what point they're able to resuscitate you. And I know there's issues with the, the biovitrificants that they use. Um, but the thing is, yeah, we can't do that now. We can, you know, we, but we can halt damage that's being done. And if we can infer memory, um, maybe we can't infer memory now, but that doesn't mean that we can't infer memory in the future. And I think that's the biggest criticism. So like, you know, some, you know, I know there it's funny because like I actually appeared on 
Well, I sent in a question to the Skeptics Guide to the Universe, maybe like 10 years ago. And like one of the members of the Skeptics Guide to the Universe was actually a member of Alcor. And I was because I put in the question and, and he um, answered it and like he was a member. And he basically was saying the same thing that I was. But I know recently, like in the last few years, it's kind of started to um, be frowned upon and looked at as a pseudoscience, mainly because of this inference of memory. But I mean, like, you, you know, we're not claiming that you can bring people back right now. I mean, that's just nonsense. Of course, we can't. Um, but that doesn't mean that the technology won't be there in the future to do that. So um, and, and, you know, biovitrification, it's the same kind of process that, you know, we use to transplant, you know, organs and things like that. So it's a, it's a proven technology. It's just the application is not proven and it's going to take time to develop that. And, you know, so like, yeah, a lot of moving pieces are going to need to come into place. But like I said, I mean, we're talking 50, 100, you know, 500 years in the future, who knows? And it's going to be, um, like I said, it's an insurance policy. It's just something for me to think about. Um and it's just, you know, it's how I choose to spend my money. So if somebody else doesn't want to spend the money on that, that's fine. You know, and I also like the fact that, you know, um, Alcor is a nonprofit, um, that they're actually, uh, you know, by me being a member, I'm helping to, you know, fund the research. So, you know, even if nothing came of that from me, you know, there's benefits to uh, cryopreservation and, and biovitrification, you know, just, you know, just example you know, the example that I gave about um, um, organ transplants. So, I mean, the technology will improve. Um, and so the process will improve. And so by the time, you know, however long, you know, it takes for me to pass, whether that's 20 or 50 years, um, hopefully by that time, you know, things are a little bit better. And so that my chances, my prognosis of being revived later will also be a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's something that I had, I mean, it's not something you, you just, do on a whim. I mean, I had, I had been thinking about it for quite some time and, um, my mother passing just kind of sealed the deal for me. So that was it. Right. Um, I'm curious. Um, do you think that maybe one of the hurdles towards that has been perhaps, uh, at least reached or at least initiated now with the artificial intelligence in theory, the artificial, uh, intelligence algorithms we have now, like the deep mind, um, learning algorithms, could really uh, speed up the development of such technologies, assuming they're possible, you know, by being able to um, not only process a large amount of the biological information, um, but just, you know, open up new windows for for uh, uh, investigation as well and development of this kind of thing. Oh, yeah, no, no question about it. I mean, I think I think AI is uh, definitely uh, opened up a lot of possibilities. And I think, you know, I mean, the critics are going to be the critics. The haters are going to be the haters. That's just the way they are. Like, you know, they always want something to complain about. They always want a reason why something can't be true. But, you know, like I remember back in, I think it was like the late 80s or early 90s, they were talking about um, CDs and how like you could never actually put video on a CD because it couldn't hold enough data. <laughs> just like just a, a couple of years later, then we had the you know, the DVDs that came out, I'm like, well, they were wrong, you know? So, like, yeah. you know, I mean, the critics of technology are always going to be there. And, and I, you know, I understand there's ethical concerns. I, I think one other one of the big criticisms about um, Alcor or, you know, that in general is just that, oh, it's just a, you know, a play thing for rich people and only rich people are going to have it. But, you know, this is like, it's economies of scale, you know? I mean, you have to have pioneers that are pushing the limits 
um, that have the money to fund this. And eventually um, the economies of scale bring it down available for everybody. And like, I mean, you could make the same argument, I guess, for medicine. Oh, you know, like, why do you want to revive him? Only rich people have health insurance. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of silly, you know, I mean, this is just an extension of life. And I think everyone, if they have the ability to do so, would, you know, would like to, to live. Um, I think most people. And so I think there's nothing wrong with that. And I think it it benefits everybody in the long run. So yeah, the critics are going to be the critics. But like you said, I mean, I think uh, the technology is making its way out there. And I think it's going to benefit um, a lot of people if they choose to, you know, participate in it. Yeah, I do wonder, um, you know, even if the, um, let's say, it's a term like for, uh, I want to say resurrection, perhaps, <laughs> after, uh, um, even if that becomes like clear, becomes un- impossible, for example, at least you'd think that the cryo technologies may develop to a point where they could be useful in, in space travel, for example, or something like that. Or again, perhaps preserve, yeah, preserving I mean, someone who's well before death uh, to, to solve something. Yeah, you know, I think I did read something about um, cryostasis or some kind of stasis they're actually using now for, for medical reasons. Um, I, I need to go back and read the article on that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, of course they will, you know. Yeah, and, and all of those things are going to be beneficial. So, I mean, I, I definitely think at some point, like, for example, if somebody is having a heart attack or somebody's having, I think strokes, for example, are, are you know, very conducive for this kind of thing to prevent uh, damage. Um, they're they're going to put you in that state um, and then bring you back. And, you know, when you're still alive, so I think there's a lot of legal issues now, like in the United States, like you can't, it, it comes down to like a legal def, definition of death. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you can't put somebody in the in the cryopreservation uh, process if they're still alive, right? So you have to wait until clinical death. But I think once they've been able to demonstrate that, um, oh, you can use it for a short time, you know, 30 minutes, an hour, five hours or whatever. I mean, we kind of do that with like in vitro and stuff, right? I mean, we have cells that, um, we preserve and then we use, and then they come back. So, I mean, it's not, it's not something that's, you know, there's no basis behind it. So yes, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Have you heard of, um, hereafter AI? Um, not, not off the top of my head. So, so this is like a sort of, uh, maybe next best thing for your family, perhaps. Um, Uh the whole idea is that you record a, a large number of, of short, interview bits or something sort of speaking of topics of interest to you or something like that and then an ai compiles this into a system that sounds like you when people are talking to it and can answer questions presumably that you've answered but uh it's supposed to be with enough input it would be like talking to to yourself basically uh interesting okay so it's kind of like recat or something but for people <laughs> yeah so so if you're um yeah if you die and your your family really wants to hear you again you know they could they could talk to the ai version of you yeah interesting yeah i don't know if i probably would do that myself i mean i i i don't know like i i i i would like people to want to move on with their life um but i mean yeah i mean i guess it's like a fancy photo i mean you look at a photo so um, yeah, I mean, I can see some application to that. So sounds sounds intriguing. Um, what I wouldn't want to do, though, is the upload, 
Like, mm-hmm. because for me, it's all about continuity of consciousness. Like, I don't like, it's just a copy. Like, it's not me. Like, I mean, I, like I can make a copy of my brain now. Well, well, you know, you're a copy of me. You're not me. So like, if I die, I'm still dead and you're here and you're a copy, but you're not me. Right. So like for me, the upload doesn't work because it's not continuity of consciousness. That's the difference with Alcor, right? You know, it's your brain. Um, and you know, you have the emergence of consciousness that's coming from the construct of the actual physical uh, brain. And so the brain needs to be there, even if it's damaged, the brain needs to be there. So, um, mm. yeah. Well, it's interesting you brought that up. Cause I was actually going to ask you, um, uh, let's say you, you, you died, you got frozen and then you were brought back. So let's say due, let's say due to various legal issues, plus technical challenges, they brought you back as a digital upload in the metaverse or something. Uh, how disappointed would you be in that case? Well, I guess I would be dead, so I wouldn't be. <laughs> the person that's uploaded would be a copy of me, not me. So, like, I don't know what the duplicate copy of me, the, the duplicate copy of me would probably be thinking, oh, wow, you know, this sucks for the original copy of me, but I'm the duplicate copy, so I don't care, right? So it's kind of like, you know, in in the transporter, <clears throat> Star Trek, right? If you transport yourself, Are you killing yourself and making a new copy? That is the big question, you know, and um, I don't, I'm not sold on the, I mean, I really love the the idea of the the, uh, transported technology, but I'm still not clear about whether or not if we were able to do that, you know, I know the science behind it, um, but I'm still not clear about whether that would be us or not, whether our consciousness. Mm. It does seem that you're quite, uh, uh, tied to your carbon-based unit as it were <laughs> um, yes yeah yes. so because i mean i think later on as they went through star trek it kind of became clear you know with the whole buffering and everything and all all the stuff they did with that bringing people back when they were more or less gone and stuff because they were preserved in the buffers that that it seemed to be a copy in that case but um we'll we'll i don't know it's it's, a, it's i'm sure it's a debate that uh, serious trekkies still have but <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, once you go down that uh, that plot line, though, kind of like you're kind of married to it and you can't really do anything about it. Um, but I think I think I probably would be sticking to the shuttles. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like bones. Yeah. Um, so I, I was curious, have you heard of a, a book called uh, I believe it's Mind Scan? Uh, this is Robert J. Sawyer, the Canadian science fiction author um when when was this published it's been a while ago it's a few decades i think okay it, it, it i did they make a movie out of that no he they made they made a tv series of another one of his but they haven't done a movie of this one that i'm aware of yet okay i, I might have seen the cover but i don't think i've read it yeah because so it that? deals with this issue as well which is interesting in that in the story there's a, a terminally ill young man and uh he goes through a new technology they have which can upload his body into a created um automaton more or less you know robot type thing um and so he goes through the process and the interesting thing is that the author describes this it's like a quantum duplication like you say so so he cover he follows then both sides um so after the process one on one side one one copy uh, is very happy because he's been uploaded into the the nice healthy body now he's got no issues anymore uh right. the other one didn't experience anything and so as far as he's concerned it didn't it didn't work he's still still in his body right 
Right. And so <laughs> the, the, the key thing is in that story that drives the plot is that um, it's supposed to be for terminally ill people, but there, uh, but a, a cure is found for his, his illness. And so both side, both copies end up living in one copy. The original copy goes crazy because he had to transfer all his wealth to the, to the other copy. And so right. he goes up and tries to kill his copied self. <laughs> That was quite interesting. Yeah, I uh, highly recommend it if you haven't read it. But uh, right. uh, but right. let's let's get it moving into your bit of your writing then while we're here. So um, so how did you uh, well, how did you get started in writing then? Um, it's funny because I was actually working on I think my fourth degree at the time, and I had to do a creative writing paper. And like I said, I had I had started. I went back to school as an adult, so by this time I was. Um, in my early 30s. And uh, I had to write the paper and the paper uh, was supposed to be a creative writing paper. Um, and it was a few pages and the title of that was Everville. And so I passed it around because uh, we were supposed to share it with other people in class. And, you know, one of the students said, oh, I could read a whole book about Everville. And then then like it just, oh, oh, I could write the book. That's not a problem. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> so um, that's when I basically decided to write it. And then um, I wrote slowly that first maybe 30 pages for like maybe two or three years. And then um, mainly because I wasn't, I had no urgency to write it. Like I had no reason to write, to finish it right away. And then, you know, I was looking at, well, if I, you know, if I get it right, I get, I need to get an agent and I need to get a publisher and all, all this. And then um, I think it was around 2012, November, I think I read this book by John Locke called how I um, sold a, um, a million copies on Amazon or something like that. And so I'm like, okay, well, I don't even really need a, a publisher. I don't need any of that. And I'll just go ahead and do it. So like, that's actually the day that I signed up on Twitter, I bought my website. And then I just, I basically used the sunk cost fallacy in my favor to force myself to write it. So I, I hired an artist to do the cover. Um, and that essentially kind of, um, you know, gave me the, um, you know, the external motivation to, to finish. And so I think I, I wrote the actual book, most of it in about a month, that first book. Um, and then the second one came out pretty quickly after that. I think I came out with it like within um, five or six months. I came out with the second book. Um, and then after that, it was, I guess, about a year, um, a little bit longer, maybe for each additional book that I put out there. But that's essentially what happened. It started out as a paper. And then I just, you know, when I decided to do it, then I I started and then um, it went better than I thought, you know, and I think I've definitely gotten better, you know, with each book and and as I've learned and studied and I continue to learn and study. Um, but that's essentially, you know, where it started. And so that was fantasy. And that's the reason that I I mean, I love fantasy. I watch fantasy. I read fantasy. Um, but I, I think, you know, I'm really happy that I finished, um, you know, the the time travel that I started that first time travel book, because I actually had been working on that for a while. So I had um, I published, there was a bit of a gap between my Everville series and my, um, time travel series. And part of this was because I had written a nonfiction book and I was kind of debating about, you know, how much time and effort I wanted to put into nonfiction versus fiction. I actually wrote two more books right after I wrote that nonfiction book. And I wrote them all in maybe 90 days. I wrote about three books. 
So I wrote uh, Think Smart, Not Hard. I wrote book five in the Everville series, which I which is so bad right now. It's just it's horrific. It's terrible. And and no one's seeing that. Um, and I think I don't know, like it started to turn into this maze runner kind of a thing that I and like I just need to like it's scrapped. Like, I don't know if I'm going to come back to it or not or just um maybe do a an end series on you know wattpad or something some other format you know just to put it out there um but right now i'm, I'm i'd have to redo that but you know my priority had had shifted to more of the sci-fi stuff and i know i'll come back to some of the fantasy um and i do like the everville series so i mean i you know i may come back to it but i'm not happy with that book five so anyway so i've been sitting on that and then i had the time travel series the um seven rules of time travel um, and you know, this was my baby. Like this was the one, this was the time travel, the time loops, like, like everything in my mind, like, Oh, I'm, I'm always going to a time loop in my head. You know, like what would happen if I do this and do that? And it's just like, you know, one of those things that I do just because I love, you know, science fiction so much. Um, I always think about like, and you know, the Star Trek series where they're like going into the future and then like, you know, improving the technology and stuff like that. So, you know, I really like that. And so I, you know, I wrote that into, um, you know, the story. And um, so I had been sitting on it for a while, but I, I knew that that was going to be, and then I had started writing a space opera. So I have like um, maybe the first three or four chapters of a space opera, a very beginning kind of broad, you know, giant universe kind of a thing, kind of a space opera. Um, and I wasn't sure which way to go. Uh, but the the first draft of um the seven rules of time travel had already been in the bag for a couple of years. And then the pandemic hit, you know, so, you know, we're, we're shut down and I'm sitting on this book and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to publish this. So, you know, I just pulled all the triggers and then um, I ran a promotion for my Everville series. And I really started reaching out to, you know, a lot of the blogs. Um, and then I, I, I did a, a pre-launch, and, you know, it, it did really well. I mean, it's, I think it's got over 600 reviews now and, you know, it's still selling. I'm, I'm making money. I'm making money on the series. I, I hadn't made money on my Everville series. So, um, and then I, you know, it started doing really well and I started getting offers from publishers for the audiobook series. So I had a couple of publishers reach out and then finally I had agreed to work with Podium Audio. So I signed a audiobook contract with Podium Audio for three books. So I've got the three books in and, um, but, you know, they're still willing to do more with me if I, if I choose to uh, on the series. So I have a book four in the works that I'm working on now. I'm still in the outlining process for that. Um, looking for beta readers, like, I mean, I haven't written it, but I'm still looking for beta readers. I always try to get out, you know, a bunch of beta readers. Um, and then yeah, I'm looking at, I'll probably have it, the first draft probably done in about you know, three months, two, three months, something like that, the very, in the alpha draft, and then I'll do a second draft and then um, I'll send it to uh, an editor to get it cleaned up and then I'll send it to my alpha readers and then my beta readers. And then I'll probably do like a, a late spring, early summer launch before I go off to travel. Hmm. So you have quite a process of, uh, that's worked out fairly well then for you. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, it's always iterative, you know, I mean, I'm always, you know, changing it and, you know, looking at different things, um, you know, what's working, what's not working. I think with the the first book in the series, I did a lot of Facebook ads to get um, beta readers and I may do that in my next series, but, you know, like with each series, you, you, you pull in a bunch of people that, you know, want to work with you. So I have, you know, several people that want to continue on. 
but yeah, it's a process. It's a process. And, you know, you can't really do it. You can do it by yourself, but um, I think it makes it a lot easier if you work with other people. Yeah. And so you use um, almost exclusively Kindle for your for your ebooks, for your books, Kindle Unlimited? Is that yeah, I'm, I'm Kindle Unlimited. I, you know, I'm I'm thinking about whether or not I have a nonfiction book that I'm toying with right now um, that I may put out this year. Um, and I may may not have that on Kindle Unlimited. I, I mean, I definitely would. I'm going to put it on Amazon and Kindle, but I'm not sure if I'll do that mainly because I mean, I like Kindle Unlimited. You know, I mean, it, you know, it definitely works well. I mean, for me, it's been about maybe 60% of my revenue. So it makes sense, at least on the fiction side to do that. I haven't, um, I know some people um, like to go wide and I do like the idea of, of multiple income streams from writing, but um, I think, you know, something can be said too for um, niching down into a particular thing, especially if it's working. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I tend to go Kindle Unlimited for pretty much everything. Uh, and I'll definitely be doing that uh, with my fiction, at least for the for, uh, foreseeable future. Right. And what's your experience with Podium been so far then? Because I've, um, I mean, I've heard good things about them and and most of the books I've listened to from them are, are really well narrated. So, yeah, they're great. I mean, I have no complaints about them whatsoever. Like I, I went down to um, a convention in, in Vegas um, shortly, like this was 2021, I think. And I met everybody in the group and everybody's really kind, friendly. I have no negative things to say about them. They're amazing. They're absolutely amazing. They, you know, they're willing to work with me. I had a narrator um, that, that I had already um, signed on with for um, the book. And then I made it actually, I asked them if they would be willing to, you know, um, keep him. And so they did. So, you know, they really worked with me and um, I had turned down another, um, publisher mainly because I had already contracted with this narrator and I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to honor my agreement with him. Um, right. but you know, they were really great. Their terms were great. And I have, I have, you know, they're, they're very professional. Their work is great. So, I mean, yeah, you can't go wrong with podium. Right. Were you going to go through Amazon ACX then before? Is that what you're planning to do? Or... Yeah, that's exactly what I was doing. Yeah. That's exactly what I was doing. Yeah. Um, and I had looked at different, um, versions of um, audio versions, but I mean, you know, Amazon makes it very difficult to go any other route, right? I mean, you get a lot of perks by um, signing up with them. So, you know, I mean, I think if I get a wider audience, um, I think we all want a wider audience at some point, you know, I mean, that may not be the case. And I am open to, you know, traditional publishers, but I'm I mean, the conditions have to be met, you know, for me, like, I'm not just going to sign on. I don't, I don't need the money and I don't, I'm not desperate. Um, I, you know, I, I know some people feel that way. And so like, if they felt like they had to take it, you know, be, but like, I'm just, I'm doing it for fun. I'm doing it because I love it. And yeah, I mean, I do want to make some money from it, but I mean, I want to reach as wide of an audience as I can. So who, you know, whatever method I can get to get more people to read this stuff, I think is the method that I'm going to go. So more readers um, and, you know, reasonable terms is what I'm looking at. Right. So, so your first series was Everville and that was about 10 years ago, more or less when it was published now, wasn't it? Um, I didn't look too much into that one. It was a fantasy series, like you said, but it did feature alternate worlds, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, especially in books three and four. Um, yeah, so there's this college kid who um, goes to the health room and then he ends up 
getting pulled into this alternate realm and he discovers that he's connected with this place called Everville. Um, and it, it uses, um, I guess, entropy for its magic system. Um, and I didn't even really call it a magic system, um, back then. And, and mainly because like my, my mother, you know, she's super religious. Right. And so like, I didn't, I didn't want to like, you know, she, you know, she just like she, anything with the word magic in it, she didn't like. So I just, I, I omitted it. And like, okay, well, we're gonna, we're gonna like get around it somehow. And so that's basically um, what I did was I, it was a magic system based on entropy. So you could basically, if you, if you really want to call it sci-fi, you can, but it's not sci-fi. It's like, it's, it's really fantasy. Um, but yeah, I introduced a lot of things. Uh, there are time travel elements there. There are aliens um, later on. Um, there's dragons. There's lots of fun stuff in that. Um, but yeah, so it's basically this kid who discovers that he's connected to this alternate realm and this realm um, is about to interfere into the the regular earthly realm. And so he needs to stop what's happening from happening. So I don't want to go do too detailed into the plot, but that's essentially what's going on. Like he discovers there's this other world um, that he's connected to and, you know, he has to find a way to stop it. He does have the ability to do this uh, for various reasons. Um, and so you know, he has to kind of navigate what's going on and he pulls his friends into it and they start helping him out. So that's basically where, where that series is going. Right. So, so I'm curious then, what is your, uh, let's say definition of fantasy versus science fiction? Because like you, you suggested, uh, that could be just from your description now interpreted in a science fiction direction. Yeah. You know, for me, yeah, for me, it really just comes down to magic. Like if you can't explain you know, something, but like, I mean, you, you have, it's, it's kind of like, it's not just, it's not just the technical, it's also the intent, right? So like in my case, uh, for Everville, I would say technically you could call it sci-fi, there's sci-fi elements there. Um, but really when you add in magic, I think that's more fantasy, right? So even like superhero stuff, like a lot of superhero stuff is fantasy. Like when you're bringing in Greek gods, that's fantasy, but, you know, it's it's kind of cross listed. And I don't I don't think we necessarily need to. Um, I know people want to label things <laughs> like, mm -hmm. they like to label everything. Um, but I think that just really what it comes down to is magic. Like if there's magic, it's fantasy. If there's no magic, it's sci fi. For me, that's my demarcation. Right. Um, so with me, it was magic, but I just wasn't calling it magic. I was calling it entropy because I could, because I can, and that's what I did. But you know, it's basically fantasy. Yeah, uh, I, I suppose there's a lot of people who would suggest that certain segments of science fiction are more fantasy than than sciency as well. Well, you know, I think I think it's a like a lot of people want to say, well, what's really possible and what's not really possible. And I don't think anybody can say what's really possible and what's not really possible. I mean, I know you can't break the laws of physics, but the thing is, we don't know everything, you know? Yeah, so, exactly. I mean, you're, you're going to be people, there's going to be people that are going to criticize any kind of like space opera, any kind of, you know, time travel, any kind of thing that just seems kind of so far out there that they can't understand it. Um, but that's sci-fi. That's why it's fiction. That's the fiction that comes into it. You know, we don't, you know, it's the fiction. And I wrote an article about this, like fiction drives the future. Like what we write becomes the future. The things that we had in Star Trek is now here in, in a reality, right? We're, we're building these things that, you know, we saw in Star Trek. So, um, these things will come to fruition. Yeah. And I know not, not every single thing and not in every single facet, um, 
but it's fiction. And so, yeah, you know, and I guess you could say everything that is fiction is fantasy, right? Everything that is fiction is fantasy because it's not real. You know, right. so if you can, if you want to have a broad definition of fantasy, everything is fantasy that's fiction. Um, and so I think that's probably where people are falling. Um, yeah. But like I said, these are, these are semantics. It's, it's fiction. <laughs> fun like who cares like if you don't want to read fantasy you don't want to read sci-fi that's fine you know find out what you want to read and, and go for it and read it you know yeah yeah i mean we have, we have discussed uh, in, in various other podcast podcast episodes the, the exact thing you were just talking about that you know well, well for one thing like you said the uh, the uh the stories are kind of manifestations from our imagination which then drives you know feeds back and drives our development of technology and likewise, um, well, anyone who thinks that we, you know, we we come through, I guess, through the through the paradigm shift curves, right? Uh, so when when we're getting close to a top of a curve and we're getting getting near, I guess, near a paradigm shift or or in a flat part before a paradigm shift, uh, it feels like the world has has paused a little bit, right? So like in the '80s, the Scientific American literally wrote an article that said, you know, is this the end of science, right? <laughs> and you're like, yeah. in the 80s, so many things have happened since the 80s that have completely changed the world from science and technology. And you can only imagine how many more times this will keep going at, as just in our world and as we get into space and everything like that. Yeah, I mean, I we, we can't envision everything, right? I mean, there's so many things that are going to happen that we have no idea about. And, you know, I mean, that's what makes life interesting is like, you don't know what's going to happen. So... Yeah, I think, just, yeah, I think there, you know, a lot of people are afraid of change, but like, that's just, um, and, and that's human nature. Like we, we don't, that's just, that's built into our genetics is, is to be afraid of change. Um, because it's, it's security, right? So change means we're losing security because, because of the unknown. And so we're, we're trying to protect ourselves and, you know, in the modern world, you know, that fear is not always useful for us. Um, so I think we need to find a way to repurpose that. Yeah, I, I think we've reached a point where I mean we need to hold on to the important parts of the past, um, but there but we need to embrace the the change that's for all intents necessary for the future, um, and uh, and and just thinking of in terms of you know how much we don't know anyone who just looks at this night sky can immediately see how much we don't know and you know the the vastness of what we might discover if we if we manage to get out there. So so going back to your your books um I was wondering then the the alternate worlds of Everville and the sort of um the way you worked that one did that sort of um influence or inspire anything from the seven rules of time travel or for the seven rules of time travel Um I mean I think I don't know maybe subconsciously but like I mean there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of similar ideas and threads and tropes you know, that I have in my writing. So time travel is a, a big one. Um, alternate worlds are a big one. So I think these are just kind of overarching themes that that tend to, that are going on in my head. So they find their way out on the paper. So I don't know necessarily that the series itself inspired anything um, as, as you know, more than it's just themes that I'm already always working with and always, always thinking about. Right. Uh, um. So when you, well, what inspired you? I mean, okay, so I, I'm guessing then that you're always thinking about this kind of stuff. So you just wanted to write a time travel story. Yeah. Did you, uh, I mean, there are quite a number of them. And that was, I guess it was published shortly after Endgame, which is probably one of the most best known 
well, one of the most best known time travel ones in the modern era. Um, were you conscious of sort of certain things that you wanted or didn't want to do in your time travel story? Yeah. I mean, I hate the paradox. Like, I mean, viscerally, I hate the <laughs> paradox because to me, it's just so stupid. Like, I mean, come on. Like, obviously, there's not going to be a paradox. That's just dumb. Like, I mean, it's not going to happen. There's no paradox. It's got to be built into the universe somehow to avoid yeah, it. There's no it's paradox. So like, yeah. So, I mean, for me, the obvious choice was to me, it's two things. Either you can't do it or it's some variation on the multiverse. And I mean, I think a good percentage of scientists believe in the multiverse. So for me, it just seemed more real. Like the, you know, a multiverse is um, more hard sci-fi. I know it's not hard sci-fi because we haven't like, I mean, it's not really testable, you know, um, so it's more philosophy, you know, technically, but I mean, you know, time travel does exist. I mean, we have um, time dilation and things like that. So aspects of time travel, we know are true. Um, so that, yeah, that's just why, cause I didn't, I didn't want to write, you know, the paradox. I hate the paradox. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I don't, I don't see myself ever writing a paradox. I mean, maybe I'll do it as a, as a, as a writing exercise, but you know, for a series, I just, I don't like that. That's just me personally. So I, I wanted to find a way to, um, do the multi worlds theory, you know, the multiverse theory. And so that's, and that's where seven rules of time travel falls. It's squarely in that kind of universe. And did you um, sort of look carefully at some of that? Because in the in the story itself, in the first story, at least you you mention a lot of the the um, let's say previous stories that have time travel in them, right. uh, quite a variety of them. Have, did you go back and sort of study what you thought was good about them? What was a mistake, or you just sort of? went ahead with what your own um you know i i love all of that stuff i've watched them i did i don't think i went back in and saw anything i think there were like several shows that i was watching that were time travel related at the time probably several books that i was reading um at the time um i mean i did go back and look at the science you know that's my background anyway so i was already familiar with it because i've already done a lot of research on it um you know both for fun and and you know as part of you know just my education um, so, you know, I did want to have some believability in there and, and I think, um, especially in the first series, you know, I did do a lot of like explanations and stuff about the mechanism. And I think, I think I'm going to, I'll probably do less of that in the future. Um, but I just, I, I wanted to do that in that first book. And so I did, but I think, um, I don't need to do that. Right. I don't need to do that. Um, I think I was I, a lot of the reason I think I did that was just for like my own personal validation as I'm writing it, like trying to convince myself that time travel is real, you know, kind of a thing. Um, yeah. So that's basically what I did. I mean, I'll if I have an idea, I want to research the idea. I think I I did some research on the holographic mind. Um, and I think that's a really interesting kind of possibility. Um, but yeah, I. I that's that's basically what I did. I, I tend not to research a lot of um, stuff from other books and things like that. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll absorb some of their content, but I tend to like when I get an idea, then I'll research the actual idea on you know a, you know what what's the feasibility of that and how can I uh, word that to get around it if we don't know something or how can I um, you know give myself a um, a qualifier you know just in case it goes the other way you know if we start to learn more. So I tend to do that kind of thing. Right. Because because I do notice when uh, when I was reading through it that uh, you, you described a lot of different theories. So as the characters were trying to 
perhaps work through what they thought was going on. And you, right. you, you more or less presented like every possible time travel theory, I think, <laughs> in this series. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I, I said, I mean, I had been on that book for a while. I mean, I had written it, but like this was my the, a lot of these are just my thoughts, you know, and then I'm, you know, the characters that are in there are, are I'm very much written myself into a lot of these characters, especially the main character. Um, and I I think this is probably what they would talk about. I know, like, you know, when I was in high school and I remember having conversations um, and I remember reading the book Flatland and I remember, you know, even just people that I talked with in high school that, you know, you know, we were just kind of like, you know, science geeks. Um, we, we would talk about that stuff. Like we had conversations about time travel. Um, I remember reading books about, you know, like, you know, 50 different, you know, ways to time travel or something or some book like that. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's kind of a, a real kind of scenario. Like if, if, it would happen i think that's the way it would happen is you would immediately go to everything that you already know and start talking about it and that's just the way it is it's interesting um because uh well along that line when not to, to put any spoilers this is fairly minor but when the when the main character let's say goes back to in to his younger self i find it a bit strange that he's taking advice on time travel from like his 13 year old friend you know, you think yeah. maybe he would have had a bit more insight, <laughs> but you know, it's like you say, you're in high school, you're all keen on chatting up this stuff. And everything. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Right. You know, and like the thing too, is like, I think a lot of times in the real world situation. So in his particular situation, he had kind of like been that um, person who didn't live up to their potential, so to speak, you know, so he's doing something that he's not really, he doesn't really care so much about. And um you know, he cares about his friends and everything, but that's not really his world anymore. I mean, it's still in the back of his mind, but um, his his mind is in other places. And um, I think, you know, his flaw, too, also had to do with, you know, you know, his personality and his um, self-esteem and different things like that. So I think that was part of his his thing. Um, so I think for him, I think it, it makes a lot of sense, like, um for me, I probably wouldn't be talking to my 13-year-old best friend about the possibilities of time travel. But I think depending upon where you are, I think, you know, depending upon who your friend was, I think that, you know, yeah, I mean, why not? Get some fresh perspective. Like, even if they can't give you any technical insight, you know, it might, um, you know, give you a different perspective that might that might give you some insight with what, you know, the knowledge you have. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I did it. I did think it was good the uh, the story arc of his, where sort of sort of the regret of the past, like you say, he sort of has these these points of regret, and then parts things he didn't know as well and didn't understand what was going on, and he sort of comes to learn the whole the whole story of his of his past and and then his yeah. future as well, I guess, or present. Um, I'm curious about the seven rules. At least I don't know. I, I I've read the first book. I haven't got to the other ones yet, so I'm wondering. I don't know if you have more seven rules in the later ones but but uh the rules in here like where did you come up with those because he does sort of break every one of them i guess more or less yeah you know you know i mean that's like that's kind of like the human condition too it's like you know you're watching tv and you're like i would never do this i'd never do that i'd never do this and so that's kind of like you know where that came from right so like um you don't want to tell people you're a time travel so time traveler right so that's one of them uh, I think that's an obvious one. And the reason is like, you know, people are going to think you're nuts. Like, you know, I mean, if you tell somebody I'm from the future, you know, they're going to they're going to put you in the loony bin like they're going to they're going to take you to a counselor 
you know, and if you're prattling on about this kind of stuff, you're going to find yourself in a straitjacket. So I think that's yeah. a pretty obvious one. Right. Uh, and then like, you know, if you have like some kind of, you know, Biff character who's listening, who who's just dumb enough to actually might believe what you say, you know, then he's going to sit there and, and try to get all the good notes, you know, for his nefarious self, too. Right. So you're creating like these arch enemies that you don't necessarily need to. So, yeah, there's a lot of bad things that can happen if you tell people that you're a time traveler. Um and it's hard not to, though. Like, I mean, yeah, when he tells his best friend that he's a time, he's auto automatically breaking that rule. But um, yeah, he doesn't come up with it anyway. So, um, yeah, because, yeah. He yeah, he ends up breaking that one several times, doesn't he? But uh, but never to the authorities, I don't think, until until it's kind of almost absolutely necessary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So did you create those rules specifically with the idea that he was going to break them in mind? Or were they just sort of things that seemed obvious? Yeah, I mean, I kind of knew, like, I kind of knew, I'm like, well, I mean, there's no way that he's going to be able to stick with these, right? And I know I'm not like, you know, but I just wrote it. And then, like, the funny thing is, like, I wrote it um, and I had a different, I had different ideas for the title. But after I had written that, like, it just came out, like, I'm just writing it. And then I'm like, wow, this makes a really great title. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, all right, I'm going to use it as a title and that's it. Like I, like once I, once I latched onto him, like, wow, this is amazing. So, I mean, for me, like just for the title, like, I mean, I'm, I'm happy about it, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you're always going to find rules that, that you should follow. And if you follow them, then you're probably pretty good. Like, you know, but that's, that's the thing about like, you know, secrets, you know, it's really hard to keep them. And um, if you follow certain rules, you can do them, but they're really, 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 really hard to follow. And, you know, when you're writing fiction, I think it's really good to break those things yeah. just so that you can, you can add more conflict and you can add, you know, make it a little bit more interesting. Yeah. And you definitely had reasons to, um, so, so you did, I don't know, I, I, it's a tricky to, how much exactly to say, I'm not going to get anything away about the plot or anything, but, but your time travel, their, their discussions, they never fully sort out what's happening i think with with um what the theory of the time travel is but they seem to settle on some variation of uh, a multiversal theory right and uh and so that breaks down i guess into a, a variety of ways uh one that i personally like that i've been sort of following for some time from various perspectives is is almost like all of these universes exist in different states already so you're not like you're because you mentioned um breaking conservation of, of energy Right. Um, and if they already exist and they're all just different states, then you're, you're essentially your mind moves between, uh, certain states. Uh, yeah, that's I, one I, that I kind of like, um, yeah, but, yeah. but there are a few variations of that, aren't there? Yeah, there are. I, and I, I honestly, I don't know which one it is, but for me, I, I did like the idea. I introduced the concept of a maze, right? So like his mind could travel anywhere along the maze that he's ever been before. So, the great thing that I liked about mine is that, and I, I haven't written a lot into this, and I and I do definitely want to expand on it, though, is he can go into any point and then branch off at any point that he's ever been. But I can't I can't make it too easy. You know, like you can't make a person God in a book. Right. So I have to introduce um, obstacles that prevents him from doing that. And so that's where I came up with the concept of, you know, dark energy and dark matter being necessary, exactly how it's necessary. Who knows? It doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's my mechanism of like giving him limits. Um, and so like, he never knows exactly if he's going to run out of mental juice to be able to travel. 
Um, and so that's always that, that fear. It's kind of like death, right? He, he, it's just that he'll get stuck in that place. Right. And he's not going to be able to get out. So he, um, he has to think carefully about whether or not he does something and there's no precise way of knowing, uh, when he's going to run out of juice. Um, so that's kind of like how I, I put that limitation in there for him. But yeah, I mean, I think that to me, it was the easiest to work around into the story. Now in book four that I'm writing now, I'm going to introduce probably a novel concept of the multiverse theory that I don't think anyone um, has ever discussed or thought about. And so I'm really excited about it. Um, and it there's like there's certain things that I couldn't do um, in the book because of the paradox, right? So like if the multiverse is true, and the paradox is not true, then there, uh, then the par paradox is not true. Like there's certain things you can't do. Like, um, well, and so- Yeah, he'll like, have to shift between multiverses constantly, won't he, basically, for one thing, yeah. Right, so like, I'm gonna bring this idea, and so I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. We'll see how it works out. I'm still in the outlining phases of it. Um, but I do bring in technology. Um, it's there a little bit in the end about like what causes the initial- thing to happen. I don't want to give away too much, but there is some technology that's involved there. So there's different methods of time travel. So it's not, it's not just him. Um, there's going to be different methods. Um, and so I think it's like people that read it, I, I don't want to give away too much, but I think there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. It was pretty, mm. pretty fun. I was curious in this, I mean, maybe getting into too many technicalities, but from someone who read it, certain questions stand out. I mean, just this, the first one is, um, so you're envisioning essentially that his mind is traveling to these previous selves and, and future selves. Is that correct? He's sort of right. transferring right. into his body. Um, because you did do interesting discussions uh, a little bit about what happens when he, let's say, creates a branch, but then he moves back into another one. Like, does that timeline stay frozen? Does he stay frozen when he's... Uh, when he's not in it um right exactly what, yeah what, did you resolve that in any of the future books like, or you just left i it have no there? idea where that is <laughs> okay no i mean like you could you could like put your brain in a time loop you know like an infinite time loop you know you could do that you could use um um time dilation for his thought consciousness if you want to like you know there's mechanisms there but i didn't really explicitly go into that you know i knew it was there and, and you know, that's part of the thing, too, about like when you start talking and, and part of the reason what I what I realized when I was writing this is like you create a lot of questions, sometimes more questions than you answer when you, you get into the details. And that's just the, the nature of the game. But, yeah, like there were several things. And that was a big one. Like what happens to the consciousness of the original? Like what are they doing there? Right. So like in Quantum Leap, you know, they bring him into like some kind of room. <laughs> like I knew there's no rooms. So like what's going to happen with the consciousness? Well, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what's going to with the consciousness. It's somewhere. Like yeah, maybe, yeah, it's, that, that, maybe that it's in the shared brain somewhere, you know, like it, maybe it's there and it's just like, you know, passive. Like there's a lot of different things that you could, you could say. Um, but yeah, I didn't really resolve that. Yeah. There was an, I mean, not really time travel, but if you've ever seen the, the martial arts film, but a jet leave film, the one, uh, that's a multiversal theory. Uh, not multiversal. Multiversal. Yes, I did. See, I did see that one. Yes. Yeah, the multiversal story where he kills himself and his energy becomes transferred all into one form of him, basically. Yeah. Right. Right. 
Yeah, that's interesting. So one thing you did, I'm curious, and, and I'm just wondering, so your own thought processes on this is uh, without giving any specifics, you focus on one, a, a lot of the plot revolves later in the story around one event that happened right. in the past. Right. Um, you, you, you don't, what you don't do is in any government conspiracies, um, you, you play it out fairly straightforward. Was that intentional right. or is it just sort of, you, you didn't want to get tangled in that or is that just, didn't make sense to you to go that way? Yeah. I mean, I, well, I, I guess there's a couple of reasons. I mean, I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I mean, I'm, I'm, I can be cynical. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, part of it is just because, you know, it's just a lot of events in history are very close to me and dear to me. And I, I don't want to kind of like, um, I don't I don't know what the word is, but like, I, I just, I have a very deep connection to that. So like, I, I didn't want to like damage that connection, if that makes any sense. Or, um, I mean, I guess you can do anything, you, anything you want to. And it's funny, like I had people that were editing and reading my book and some people didn't some people had issues with that some people even with what i wrote so like there's always going to be issues no matter what you write especially around um, big events but um for me it's it's it was part just part of the process of what you could do if you could travel back through time like what would people do if they could travel back through time what would you try to do um so for me like the obvious things people would try to do is things that you would do and you would write about so that's what i that's what i did i, I picked something and i thought um, I might do, I might do personally if I was able to, you know, travel back through time and how could I do it without letting people know, like, mm. how could I, like, if you know something, but you don't want people to like, you don't want to break that rule about telling somebody that you're a time traveler, cause they're not going to take you seriously anyway. Um, how can you let people know about this? Um, and so I think some events that happened around that time kind of made it, we're, we're kind of conducive to that particular idea to me too. So um, in, in later books in the series, I do similar things with trying to, you know, tell people about certain situations to try to change time. Um, so I think, yeah, I think part of it's just like in my mind, like it's in my head and just the scenarios, I'm looping this scenario in my head over and over and over again. And so I, I just make that into a plot line. I, so I think that's probably just where it was. It was just in my head going over and over again. And I just wanted to write it out. And um, I also thought it made for good fiction. So I that's part, just part of the reason why I did it. So I was wondering if you were in Quinn's position and you had a, let's say you had a, a present threat that you had mm -hmm. to deal with, and then you had a clock ticking, would you have put uh, as much effort into trying to fix the uh, a, a past issue? Um, or would you, because uh, I was looking at that, I mean, I won't say anything about the plot, but I was thinking of that, that point and I was like, well, I personally think I would have moved on and worked on the present one instead of putting as much time. I'm just curious. Like I'm, that's, that's me particularly, not every person. Well, you know, I think, I think part of the reason why I did that was I think, why do people, I think you have to go back to the origins of, of why people like time travel. I think the reason that people like time travel is because they want to write things. They want to write wrongs in their past. And I think as much as it's not always healthy for us to do so, we live in the past and uh, we get hung up on things in the past. 
Um, so I think people would do that. I think people would get hung up on things, whether good or bad, um, at the expense of everything else. Um, if it's just something that was really important to them, you know, and that's, that's just reality. Like you're going to save your, your wife or your child, um, or yeah, at least a good portion of people are, um, at the expense of, of other people just because they're there, they're closer to them. Um, and I think that's just human nature. Um, mm -hmm. so I think in Quinn's situation, like if you understand his origin and his backgrounds, um, I think it had a bigger impact on him than it would have had me. Right. If you look at, you know, his, um, you know, where he lived and that kind of stuff. So I think for him, it makes sense. Um, I think, you know, for somebody that lived in Hawaii, um, it would still be impactful, but I'm not sure that they would make that same choice. Um, so I think it, it just, it's different, right. It's different for different people. I don't know. I don't know. Like if, if it were me in the past, I can't really say because like, you can't really say until it actually happens. So unless I like actually, you know, get thrown back into time, I'm not sure, <laughs> you know, you're, you're hopeful you'd make the right choice, but I definitely tell you that I would be making a ton of money in the stock market. I'm just being straight <laughs> up. <laughs> That's, I'm, I'm going to do that. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, I did like one of the, um, I thought it was interesting and timely, I suppose. Uh, one of the discussions they had, which was kind of a, a more minor one, uh, in regards to what he was doing. So in his time loops, uh, the Groundhog Day type thing. So mm -hmm. so learning bits to do other things. Yeah. Um, and then they, I think they comment at one point about uh, sort of taking the bits together and, and writing a new timeline, which is the one he's on. Mm -hmm. That's kind of an MCU thing right now. I don't know if you're following the, the Marvel Universe at all. Uh, and I'm wondering, uh, well, th does that seem sort of, ring like a, a reality to you or do you view the whole process completely different in his in the case of this story and, he, and he's really is sort of there's the multiverse that's more or less exists and he moves through it you know and, and that's kind of i'm still kind of navigating that you know and like part of so the the antagonist in this it's kind of behind the scenes and i'm going to try to pull that a little bit more forward into the scenes and so I think I'm going to use technology to handle that a little bit. And so I don't know if I'm going to answer that neatly. Um, I'm I'm still kind of I'm still kind of working with that. But the the new concept that I'm going to bring into book four, I think, kind of handles that a little bit differently because, um, yeah, yeah, I think there's some conflicting ideas if you're sticking strictly with the multiverse and so that's part of the reason why i'm going to bring something else in there yeah so yeah so you basically you did throw out a whole bunch of ideas and uh and sort of tried to work with which ones sticked uh or right, stuck right. in a way yeah 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 it's a it's a challenge to write some a uh, time travel story that that's fairly new isn't it uh it doesn't follow a huge number of the tropes yeah <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, there's a lot of multiverse stuff out there now. And I think mm. uh, I think w after I finished my draft, it's funny because like after I finished my draft, um, I don't, man, like I saw Russian Doll and I was like, man, they read my book, <laughs> <laughs> published it before. And then they read my book, you know, um, it's like if you see Russian Doll, the, the second um, um, season it came out after my second book. And so there's a lot of things in there. I'm like, 
I just feel like they read my book. <laughs> but the good thing is like, okay, I published it first. So yeah. <laughs> I could say that they were borrowing from me. But yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of stuff has really come out um with the multiverse theory. I mean, I think um yeah, with all the superhero stuff out there, it's you know, it's very yeah, it's it makes it it does make it hard to kind kind of write something completely new and completely unique. Um, but I think it, it, you don't really have to. I mean, you know, you just have your own unique spin on it. You know, so you don't have to try too hard to be too unique because everything is fiction. You know, I mean, if you're reading a space opera, like everything's going to have spaceships in it. You know, what I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's the way it is. Like you, you expect to be on a spaceship when you're reading a space opera. So you know, you don't have to be too original. You know, you just want the storyline to be original, and I think that's the main focus. And and take the readers through, you know, for a ride. So. You know, I'm that's what I'm, you know, I'm looking at structure, I'm looking at um characters, and I really, I really want to improve my characters and make my characters strong. And um I think that's probably a focus that I have. So I think I've been I've really looked at structure a lot, and I'm gonna continue looking. I mean, I look at every facet of my writing and I just want to try to be the best writer that I can and you know, look at what do readers want to read. Um I think characters are important. So I think I think that's really going to be the focus of what I'm doing is um, give the character um, a, a rationale for doing something, but then make their character very interesting. Mm. Um, so that's really what I'm I'm trying to do moving forward. Just really, really um, niche down into that character development. Yeah. Um. And, and so so we are moving on. So, but um, one last question before we go into the. The final segment is uh, I just had to know why Russians in your story. <laughs> Was there something there or? <laughs> no. And it's funny too, like, you know, because the, because of when I wrote the book and after I wrote the book, I mean, after I published it, like a lot of things happened. So no, um, it, it's just an easy foe. You know, it's just, you know, I mean, yeah. And I don't like, I, it's hard to get in trouble blaming Russians, like <laughs> especially if you live in the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So we'll we'll move on to the the second uh, segment of the show. So we don't have a, a Revenge of the Muse today, uh, but the story cubes will be on alternativefutures.co.uk. I post them there if any of the listeners want to uh, want to try their hand at these particular cubes. Uh, this season, I'll be asking most of the authors to create a brief story synopsis. So that could be a, a goal for any writers who are listening. Um, so I wanted to give you the, uh, the, the the lightning round questions. And I've I've uh, tried to focus these around time travel stories. Okay. <laughs> so right. so okay. it's just basically A or B, uh, your preference. Um, and okay. feel free to explain why you made it, that decision if you want. Um okay. So, so number one is Back to the Future or Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Ooh, um, Back to the Future. Uh, just because, like, it's I love that series. It's, but I like both. I like both. I, the last one was kind of junk, though, honestly, and I paid like a premium for it. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah I, that, I didn't see the latest Bill and Ted one, but yeah, I haven't. Seen I that. did. I did. Yeah, I wasn't that impressed, but I mean, I, I like the original. But yeah, no, um, definitely Back to the Future. All right. Um, Neil Asher's Cowl. Have you read that one? No, no, I don't think so. Okay. Um, so that's an interesting one because he uses uh sort of they're they're almost like surfing a time probability 
so mm. they can they can change the timeline they're in by moving up and down a probability curve okay uh, and it's an interesting one uh, so let's say uh star trek 4 or men in black 3 star trek 4 i'm always going to pick star trek over <laughs> men in black there's no question about that yeah <laughs> Oh, uh, okay. This is a a three option one, and it'll depend on um, your your awareness of these three, I guess. But uh, Eternity Inc. from Asimov's End of Eternity, uh, Marvel's Time Variance Authority, which we saw in the Loki uh, series, or the Temps Commission from the Umbrella Academy. I'm I'm gonna pass on this one. All right. I think I have the feeling that uh, the last two were probably based on the first one, anyway. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm familiar with the last two. I haven't, I haven't read the first one. Um, yeah, no problem. So, um, okay, so this is something that you discuss in your book. Then, uh, holographic universe or or a multiverse uh, in a, like a like a physical multiverse. Oh, well, I I don't think I think that's a false dichotomy. I think you can. Have <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to say something like that. <laughs> you think they're the same thing, basically. I, I, yeah, I think you, yeah, I think it could be the same thing. I think you can have both. I don't think it's necessary one or the other. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, would you see a holographic? So one thing I was thinking when I was, cause you introduced the, the ideas in your book as well. And I was, I was thinking that a holographic universe would be like, if you look at a hologram and you break it, each piece then ends up having the hologram in it as well, which, which would be very interesting sort of uh, analogy, perhaps maybe for the multiverse. Any, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or that seems. Yeah, I, I think I think maybe like I think maybe string theory. If you look at string theory and you think of a string as a vibration and like a particle as a vibration or a certain frequency, I think it could be like a, a part of the whole that you don't see. For example, so like it like a missing part. Like you have one dimension of a larger dimensional um, construct. Hmm. That's because I. In in a related thought, then I often wonder if we, if we look out into our universe, uh, if 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 we're actually because the the James Webb Telescope has got some interesting results recently, apparently, and it, I'm wondering if if the further you look, or maybe you look very far in different directions, you're actually seeing a, kind of around like in a loop. So you know <laughs> we could be watching different times of our own galaxy. From different directions as we as we look right <laughs> yeah so i don't know if it exactly works that way but like i i do know that they found um like older universes than they expected or like there were some definitely some unexpected results that they found that that are going to make them yeah rethink. i just sorry go ahead yeah they're gonna have to rethink some of the um i guess physics behind and uh the um timelines on uncertain things yeah, because I think I read today that it was um, they found a lot more old galaxies yeah. and they were more yeah. developed than they thought they should be. Yeah. Um, I'll give you one more question. I don't know if you've uh, you've seen the the second one or not, but Groundhog Day or the Tomorrow War, which is Tom Cruise. I think that's I've seen both of them. I love both of them. You know, actually, I I think I watched the Tomorrow War multiple times. Um, I think they're both great. I mean, you know, um, the second one's definitely more sci-fi. The first one's more romance, but um, they're they're both amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I I mean, my book was inspired definitely by Groundhog Day with the time loop. But I mean, like, there's, um, yeah, I really like that that uh, 
you know, the Tom Cruise one. Yeah, that was good too. But I'd I'd have to go. I'd have to defer to to Groundhog Day. I'd the have original, to yeah. <laughs> um. So just so so I'll just end the the uh, the interview with sort of the two big big bigger questions. Then I suppose. Um, and one of them we kind of touched on. So this would be um, from your perspective, if you if you could change, if you found yourself in the situation of your character, you could change one thing from the past. Is there something you would change? That you know that that's the question everybody asks, right? But I, I think I think I would kind of do what Quinn does to a degree. Like, I mean, I think I would find big events where people are getting hurt and and do what I can to kind of prevent them. I think when you look in terms of my own life, man, there's just so much to unpack there. Like, I don't know. Like, um, I'm I'm sure I would probably get out of the way a lot more. Um, I think that there was things, there would be things that I would just do naturally with the knowledge that I have with, without even necessarily trying to change anything. Um, but I do say that, I mean, our past is what makes us who we are. Um, and you know, if like, if you're in a situation where your past, you're, you don't know how it's going to affect your present, which is how a lot of time travel timelines go. I mean, like if you have your, your same consciousness, I guess it doesn't really matter, but um, if if you're uncertain about that, how it would impact your present, um, I'm not sure that I would want to do anything because I'm I think I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. And and like any kind of unexpected thing might change things for the worse. So like I, you know, the bad things, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger kind of a thing, you know, so a lot of really bad influences and and events in my life had had a positive impact on me overall based on my reflection on it and what I've learned from it. Um, and so I think that's going to be different for, for different people, but I definitely would be like, okay, um, you know, let's try to save people from this massive tsunami that's, that's headed their way, that kind of stuff. I would do that kind of stuff for sure. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of had the same view with at least my personal timeline, which is, you know, I don't know how it would affect anything. And then, you know, you might end up, uh, you know, erasing your child or your children from existence. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Difficult. Uh, you, you gave your main quick character a, a bit of a get out of jail free card in that regard, didn't you? Um, because yeah. he had a, he had a special case, shall we say that, uh, yeah. that motivated him in a way. Um, uh, so the second question, um, since we're, this is the first, uh, first interview of the season end of the new year. Um, it's sort of following on from the interview I had with uh, Tony Bertowski in December, which is just um, what's one hope that you have for humanity in 2023? I mean, we've been through a rough period and uh, it won't necessarily get a lot better for a while as we sort out sort of a new world kind of thing. Um, but what what do you hope uh, realistically uh, is a, you know, positives for this year? Um, I, I, I hope people watch less news. <laughs> Honestly, like the last two months, I've just completely shut off the news completely. Um, and I think, I think people, um, I think you're better to look closer to your own community. And I think, you know, we're so connected to everything that's out there and not to say that there's not problems there are, but you don't have to know about every single problem that you have no control over. I think the, um, the biggest control that you have is within yourself and like you're part of your community. So if you 
you know, if you become able to help other people, if you're more able to do that, then you can help those that are around you, right? So it's kind of like concentric circles, a small circle, and then a little bit bigger circle. So for me, I have the biggest impact on like my immediate family and then my local community. So I, you know, I personally try to do things like, you know, get enough sleep at night, you know, cause like if I'm, if I'm super tired and I can't get enough rest, then I'm not really being able to help anyone. So I think, you know, I think people need to, you know, embrace self-care, you know, I mean, um, it's the mask on a plane kind of a thing. And I think if people do that, I think, you know, society and the world will benefit as a whole. So don't be afraid um, to take care of your own, you know, personal, physical and mental health. I think that's very important. Yeah, yeah maybe this will be the year we we tune out from social media a bit more. It does seem to amplify uh, everything, inc including all the problems, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, you don't have to shut out everything, but you can be a lot more deliberate. You know, you can give yourself constraints like you can say, all right, well, it's 15 minutes on, on Saturday and then that's it, you know, or, or whatever, whatever constraint you want to put. Um, but yeah, you know, we don't have to um, be connected hundred percent of the time. And I think a lot of times that just leads to, to burnout and overload and unnecessary anxiety. Yeah. That's one of the things that Tony and I were discussing as well is, is exactly what you said, sort of the uh, self-care and then sort of a more of a community spirit uh, kind of hopefully moving forward, maybe, maybe get us through this a bit uh a bit better yeah 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 excellent so yeah i think we're that's about all the time we have today um but just before we go perhaps you could tell us sort of what what you have coming out next where to find you online and uh if you're yet you any upcoming events or anything like that sure yeah so i have uh the next book in the seven rules of time travel series i'm looking for um a late may early june release you can always visit my website royhuff.net uh, and then all of my socials are at real Roy Huff. So that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and I'm on Amazon. You Google my name, Roy Huff, and, and it'll pop up. But uh, and, yeah, and I do have some yeah free lead magnets and things like that, free books. If you want to visit my website at royhuff.net. And all your books are on Kindle Unlimited. Is that right? They are. They are. All right. So yeah. you can get them for free and, if you subscribe. Yeah, to they're all on paperback, audiobook. You can get audiobooks and uh, paperbacks for all of them as well, too. Excellent. Well, Roy Huff, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening. Information and links related to this and all episodes are available at alternatefutures.co.uk, as are the StoryCube images and original content from my guests. I'm also over at Substack under Alternate Futures, where I post articles on science fiction, socio-technological issues, and futurism. You can subscribe for free or sign up for a paid account if you'd like to support the podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not share it with friends, writers, and other sci-fi fans you know? And if there are any indie sci-fi creators you'd like to see featured, send me a message at podcast at alternatefutures.co.uk. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me on the next episode.